God is going to blow this thing up today. There is such a dynamic power of the presence of the Lord. And if you're a guest here today, we are an emotional people. But there's full reason for it. Because once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I had no hope, but now I am filled with hope. There's something that happens inside of us as we get into the presence of God and the glory of God makes itself known to us. And uh, today is going to be a day of victory. So hold on to your seat and just see what God will do. Praise God. There is a glorious happening that we may not even see yet. And if you'll just lay your agenda aside and lay your thought processes aside and let his thought process come, there's no telling what's going to happen in the next few minutes. I don't say that based off of emotionalism. I say that based off of the word of God. And the word of God says that he's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. That's what happens when the word of God comes forth. And he's getting ready to do some things. In Ephesians chapter 6, I'll just let you reference your bulletins or the screen outside for the announcements following service. We're in the flow of the spirit right now. If you have any questions, you can ask one of our host or hostesses or myself or my wife will be out there afterwards as well. Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read one scripture, verse number 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Let me read that again. We're not fighting flesh and blood enemies. If you've been fighting somebody this week, it's not the right fight. We don't, we don't, the Bible uses in King James uses wrestling. We wrestle not. We fight not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are not fighting against you and I. We're fighting against something that we cannot see. We're fighting against something that only he can see. He may give us a glimpse from time to time, but on a daily basis, our physical, natural eyes cannot see what's going on around us, but he does. And so when he is calling us not to wrestle with that which we can see, but to wrestle with that which we cannot see. And too many of us have consumed our time in wrestling against things that we can see and not against things that we cannot see. And we get bogged down fighting a battle that we're not designed to fight. And we're, we get bogged down uh, fighting a battle that we're not designed to win. If we would ever pull ourselves out of the natural fight and put ourselves into the spiritual fight, the Bible says that we would be made more than conquerors. More than conquerors. In Revelation chapter 3, I asked God what I'm supposed to do today. And uh, I thought I was going one direction. And then Paul taught. 
And so now I'm blending the two messages that I was messed up with because he tied it together for me. Revelation chapter 3, I want to start at verse number 14. If you were here in the men's group on Wednesday night, we talked about this a little bit. I want to come back to this and then we're going to close this service out with a great roar. Verse 14, write this letter to the angel in the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Now I want you to read and listen to this very closely starting at verse number 15. I know all the things you do. Ouch. I know all the things you do. That you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to stop there for just a few minutes. The Lord gave me a revelation as I was preparing for Wednesday night. And the men and I discussed it a, a little bit Wednesday night because I have been born and raised in a Pentecostal apostolic atmosphere, an atmosphere very similar to this. I fell asleep under the pews. Now, we don't have pews, but back then we had pews. And, and I fell asleep under them as a, as a child, and, and, and mom would bring me in, and they'd have a little, they'd take a coat, and they'd put the coat down on the hard tile, and we'd sleep under the pew. Or if there were not many people, sometimes we got to lay on the pew. But then I grew up in that, this atmosphere. I, I'm used to, this does not freak me out because I'm used to it. I was born and raised in it. And in all of the times that I had ever heard this passage of Scripture used, It was always used in a passage of judgment. In other words, that the Lord wants you either to love him or to hate him, but not to get stuck in the middle. And I heard that my entire life. I would rather that you were on fire for God or you just gave up on God. But because you're not either, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Until I got to studying this passage a little bit clearer and began to read it a little bit more. I want you to notice what Jesus is actually saying here. He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. In other words, I want to take it out of the temperature mindset, and I want you to bring it into some, uh, some, it's either black or white or gray. And what I believe that the Lord is trying to tell somebody here today is simply this. Stop living in the gray area. Stop living in the uncertain area. Stop living in that area where you're not sure whether you're in focus of God. You're not hearing God. You're not in clarity with God. You're just kind of a jumbled mess. Because in that scripture, Jesus says, I wish that you were hot or cold. That does not mean I want you to be in fire for me or I don't want you to be around me. What that's saying is if you're on fire for me, you'll do what I need you to do. And if you're in the cold of your life, you're going to be more apt to listen because you're going to be in trouble. So I'd rather you get down in the trouble of life where I can give you some focus 
or I'd rather have you in the hotness of life or the heat of the day where I can use you as an instrument. I want to either use you or bless you. I don't want you to get stuck into your comfort zone of the gray area. I don't want you to be wishy-washy. I don't want you to come and go. I don't want you to be up here and down here. If you're in the cold, I can deal with you. If you're in the heat, I can use you. But don't get stuck in the middle part. And I believe that God is calling us as individuals and as a church to get to where we get a hold of him. He's either here today to bless you in the coldness of your life or to use you in the heat of your life. He just wants you to get out of the gray area. Pastor, I'm just not sure about this thing. I... You're kind of emotional. You're kind of a freak when you preach. I'm not sure about that. It's not what I'm used to. Stop looking at me and start looking at him. He's the freak. I say that with all due respect, but he's the one that called the apostle Paul the one that crucified and, and, and persecuted the church and killed the church. He's the one that turned him into an apostle. He's the one that chose Simon Peter who denied him three times. He's the one that said David was a man after his own heart even though David committed adultery and murder and didn't respond to it until the prophet said it was him and so he tried to cover it up and hide it. He's the one that chose you and I to be here in this hour, in this day. He said, listen, at the end of 2020 or at the beginning of 2020, the end of 2019, I have chosen this people to be my people in this moment in this season don't be hot or or don't be in the middle but be hot or be cold listen he's the one that's crazy he doesn't make sense it's not me well pastor this church is they're so friendly therefore friendly I know we're friendly this, this, this church, this church you're, you're just a little bit out there. I'd rather be out there where I'm not sure what exactly we're doing and in the hand of God than to be exactly doing what I know we're supposed to be doing and not being in the hand of God. Listen, I am certain beyond the shadow of a doubt that God has put us exact. Can I tell you why? The reason why I know God is doing it is because I couldn't get you all here on my own. but he can. I've got to tell you that God has stirred up my spirit. Look at what this passage says. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. I don't know if you're rich today and you think you're rich. I'm not talking necessarily about money there, but you need God. I need him. I can't make it. You can say that it's a crutch. You can say, what, I'll take the crutches if it's a crutch. I take him, whatever it is. I need him because the minute that I say I don't need him is the minute that he labels me as wretched and poor. Contentment does not come from us. Contentment comes from him. And some of us have been searching for happiness and happiness does not come from us. I can't make you happy. You can't make me happy because happiness is fleeting. You'll never grab a hold of happiness. 
Happiness is an emotion. It comes and goes. Happiness is based off of the circumstance of your life. Happiness is whether you feel like you're in a good mood or not in a good mood. Happiness happens whether you got a good night's sleep or not a good night's sleep. If you ate the wrong kind of food or the right kind of food. Happiness comes against all, and you can't, it comes and goes. But contentment is what Paul preached in, in the book of Philippians. I have learned with whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Not because I have everything I need, but because I have everyone I need. I have him. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're ugly or you're good looking. It doesn't matter whether you drive a good car or a rotten car. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have, who you are, where you've been. All I know is this. Jesus said, I am his uh, joint heir with you. I am a God's kid. I am with you in the good times and in the bad. I will not leave you. I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. I will be with you even unto the ends of the world. So my question to you today is, Why are you living in the gray areas? Why haven't you given up and just said, today's the day I'm making the change. I'm all in. I'm all in. Lord, do with me what you please. I'm all yours. Here's my calendar. Here's my checkbook. Here's my family. Here's my job. It's all yours. Sounds radical. Sounds radical. But when you understand the other side of radical, you'll understand how much better it is to be totally sold out than to try to hold on to both. Did you know that the passage that we read in Revelation is not really a New Testament scripture? It's based off of an Old Testament experience. If you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment of God is getting ready to be poured out on these cities and the Lord sends the angels to Lot and his family and says, Lot, you've got to get your family out of Sodom and Gomorrah because God is getting ready to judge their sin and their rebellion. And there's getting ready to be a day when all hell is going to break loose because the Lord is going to let the flames of fire come and you've got to get your family out of here. And so Lot finally, after years, begins to listen to the angelic voice that's in his home and says, okay, and he gathers his family and they come and they begin to flee. And the angel says, you flee from Sodom and Gomorrah and you do not look back. And Lot's wife goes with Lot, but somewhere outside the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah, she just can't sell it all out. She just can't jump all in with what Lot is doing. She just doesn't trust him. She doesn't trust God, whatever it is. But she glances back. The Bible says as soon as she does, she became a pillar of salt. Star Wars has nothing on God. (laughs) Why was she turned to salt? Was it because 
of her disobedience? Was it because God didn't like her? Was it because God was mad at her? No, it was because she was stuck in the gray. She was trying to go to one direction and hold on to the other direction. And it tore her apart. God is calling somebody to get out of the gray. Well, pastor, you don't know my situation. Everything is falling apart. That means you're in a cold season. But Jesus is in the cold season too. So get your focus on him in your cold season and your cold season will warm up very quickly. And when Jesus does it, he doesn't go take you back through the gray season. He takes you from hot to cold. Most of us are in a cold season because we've drifted from the hot season into the lukewarm season. And when we, when we transition to the lukewarm season, we started trying to figure things out on our own and stop relying on him. And then all of a sudden, everything starts blowing up around us. And we're like, well, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? And he's saying, well, you left the hot zone. And you got stuck in the gray zone. So I'm gonna let you get to the cold zone. Because I know if I can get you to the cold zone and everything around you is falling apart, I know you well enough that at that point in time, you'll turn to me. And when, I, when you turn to me, I'll be standing there right with you and we'll resume getting you back to the hot side of things. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is your adversary and your flesh like the gray areas? That's the problem. You see, let me just let you in on a little secret about the enemy. He doesn't care whether you come to church or not, he doesn't. You can come to church every service for the next 50 years and he could care less. What he cares about is where you're at when you come to the service. If you're in the gray area, he's winning. But pastor, I've been faithful. I read my Bible every day. I've been to church all the time. I faithfully give my tithes. Yeah, but have you been in contact with him? Or are you doing your Christian habit? Now, don't get me wrong. I wish all of you were here for every service. Some of you noticed the Facebook post a little bit. If the pastor's called to feed the flock, the flock needs to come at feeding time. That's just an aside. I want you to give not because it benefits me personally, but because it benefits you. I want you to read your word because that's the only way he can speak to you. I shouldn't say the only way, but the primary way he can speak to you. I want you to have the habits of being a Christian and being Christ-like, but you want to know what? You can learn to be a Christian and not know Christ. And the enemy wants to get you into that place of the in-between. 
And, and so he'll let you get just, you know, have you ever gotten to that place where the, your job is just miserable and it drives you nuts and you're just about ready to put in your notice and go find something else and the boss calls you in and gives you a promotion? I mean, is that, is that happened to anybody besides me? Or you're just about ready to turn in your notice and go find something else and all of a sudden they, they readjust something and it makes it better for a little bit. Can I just tell you, that's not necessarily God giving you the promotion. That's the adversary sometimes keeping you stuck where you didn't want to be. Because he knows that if you, if you go ahead and quit and you jump into that cold area, you're going to focus in on God. And if you get focused in on God, he loses. And so he's going to do, he's the buffer on both sides. He doesn't want you to get too in tune with God. And so if he can, if he can appease your conscience just long enough to make you come to church a couple times a week and, and, and maybe pray over your food once or twice a week or, or do something like that, he, he, he can, and your conscience says, well, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm serving God, but, but I'm right here. And, and he can keep you on the inside of the hot side or he'll, he'll just, he'll bless you. And listen, he's an angel of light. And the problem and the reason why he's so deceptive and so uh, sly is because he just twists one or two words in a conversation. Go all the way back to Genesis in his conversation with Eve. He changed two or three words and made it totally the different thing. He's boxing you in to the gray area. He's boxing you in to the in-between. He doesn't want you to be on fire for God because he knows if you're on fire for God, everywhere you go and everyone you talk to is gonna get burned. You see, you can't go, you can't, you can't be around somebody that walks out of a burning building with their hair a little bit singed and the soot all over themselves and not be and get close to them and not smell the difference, not feel the difference, not see the difference. Listen, when you get into the fire of the Holy Ghost that we're in right now, when you leave this place, if you allow yourself to get so hot for the Lord, when you go to the grocery store this afternoon, when you go to the restaurant, when you go to your family, when you go, they're not good. They're going to look at you. They're going to see the soot. They're going to smell the difference. They're going to de- There's going to be a sign that you have been somewhere. And if they want to have what you have, he has lost. So he'll put you in a buffer. In the middle of a service, when the presence of God is moving this way, you'll start thinking about what you're doing this week. Or you'll start thinking about what you have to do because the honeydew list has grown longer. Or you'll start thinking about, well, thankfully, we don't have to think about the Vikings anymore, but we'll start thinking about something else. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and we, we, we bump up against the heat of the spirit but we don't go over the line into the fire can I just tell you something the he three Hebrew children would have never experienced the fourth man if they had not jumped over the line into the fire they would have never experienced we would have never had a record of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 if it wasn't for the fact that they allowed themselves to not get bumped up against it would it have been more comfortable even in their mind well I just bowed but I don't believe it I just bowed because it was the legal thing to do and I I don't believe it I don't trust I I know who my God is 
That would have been the easy thing. That would have been bumping up the heat of the spirit against the gray area. They didn't do that. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter what God does. Let me say that again. I'm putting it into 2020 language. It doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter what God does. He, they said it this way. My God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But if not, but if not, we will not bow. We will not serve. Listen, what gets you from the gray to the heat of the spirit is the but if not. God can do whatever he wants to, but if he doesn't do it, I'm still gonna serve him. I'm still gonna worship him. I'm still gonna praise him. If he doesn't deliver me from my situation, he can do it, I know he can, but if not, I am going to serve. Let me put it into the terms of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My, my. We're getting there. The Lord is ramping this thing up because there's, there's gonna be divine victory in the next few minutes. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places and principalities and powers of the air. There is something that can happen on the inside of each one of us. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Jesus, what you're getting ready to do in the next couple of minutes, what you want to do, I know it requires us to sell out to you. And so right now I'm coming against the voice of the adversary and the accuser that is whispering into people's minds and spirits right now that says that the words that have been preached and shared already may not really work. It's all emotionalism. It's just churchism. I'm asking you now to silence that voice and silence that, that misunderstanding and let them know that this thing is absolutely real and that if they will sell out to you and that they will surrender it all to you, that you will step onto the, 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 uh, the stage of their life and begin to do a work that they've never imagined being done before and that they will experience something that they've never experienced before. I come against you and I bind you, Satan, in the name that is above every name. When he hung on a cross, he bound you up and he gave us power and dominion to tread on serpents. And if anything should bite us, it will not harm us. And Lord, I'm asking you now to move in this house. I'm asking you now to speak in this house. I'm asking you now to release the power and the glory of the host of heaven. In the name that is above every name, for at your name every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that you are the Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now I can preach this 
because I didn't have liberty, but I, the Lord's taking care of that and I need to share something with you. As I was kneeling in prayer on Wednesday before service, two words came into my spirit that I had not heard in a very long time. And these two words is the trigger and the impetus of this message. And that is simple. War, cry. War, cry. Well, that sounds exciting. So I did some research. And what I recognized, especially in the Old Testament, was that in the front of the army in almost every battle that preceded any fighting was the war cry. War cries are not just biblical. Google it once. I, I Googled war cry yesterday, and I know there's a book or a recording of some singer or something out there, but if you go further down, I've got a page right here. The 10 most famous battle cries. And if you go down... And you, sometimes they're, they're shouted really loud. And sometimes they become just a, a word that, that a person that's a part of something holds to. Marines, right? What's the battle cry? Semper Fi. Another one is Hoo-yah. And, and, and can I just tell you that it, it, one of the most famous American battle cry or war cry is the rebel yell of the Civil War. And there is documented interviews with people that were on the Union Army that when they heard the rebel yell, it terrified them. Don't misunderstand me here when I start talking about this. There is something Powerful when a war cry goes forth. You go through the Japanese use the word bonsai. There's there was another one that that uh, uh, huzza is one that was used, and, and and Gideon had one. Gideon said this: People, when you hear the trumpet blow and the and the pots the clay jars break, I want you to shout for the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, now that sounds good, but can I tell you what was actually taking place was not just words coming out of their mouth, but when a war cry is delivered, there's a couple of things that happen when it comes out. First of all, a war cry, it does something to the individual that releases the war cry. It puts all of your nerves in place. It puts all of your stamina in place. It focuses you in on the victory that's getting ready to happen or the fight that's getting ready to happen. It's the reason why sports teams at the beginning of a game, you'll see them all jumping up and down and shouting and hollering. What are they doing? They're building up an energy Part of the reason why you haven't gotten out of the gray zone is you haven't worked up your energy into a war cry. And what ends up happening is something begins to release in us 
because of this. There is one thing in scripture that you cannot tame. It's the tongue. It's the one thing. Read the book of James. It's the one thing you cannot tame is the tongue. But when you, and so when you begin to well up and it explodes from you, something is released from the inside of you. Can I just tell you, I have learned this from experience. I have learned this from my dad. My dad in, his, in the church that he pastored, it was, it was uh, similar to this one, but it, he would usually sit right in this area or right over in this area. And some of you went to the church where he pastored. And, and, and if you sat anywhere in that building, every once in a while, usually not necessarily at the best time even, you would hear a glory. I even sound a little like him. Or he'd say, yes, Lord. Because why? Well, he was an athlete. He knew what the war cry was all about. It was one of the things that got him back to where he needed to be in God because the war cry of the Minnesota Fighting Saints from 1972 to 77, the professional hockey team that played where the Excel is now, it was the Civic Center then. Every night that they took the ice, the song began to play. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. And that war cry, every home game, I think my grandma prayed it into him. Every home game, that song began to play. And at the end of every game, win, lose, or die, my dad was thinking the war cry. I'm in the wrong battle, but I'm hearing the right cry. It looses. When you're dealing with people, and they're going through something, and you're counseling with them, you're wanting them to say whatever it is. You're wanting them to open up, not to hold it all in. The reason that they want that as a therapist is because they understand as long as you hold it in, you are locking yourself up. But when you expose it, when you expose it to somebody that you trust, when you expose that thing that's in you, to some, it loses its power like that. And the reason is is because you have unlocked the war cry in you. And the adversary wants to keep that as silent as possible. It's the reason why the response to sin is shame. Because sin will cause shame to come into your life and shame will try to close you down and push it down and you'll act like everything's good and you'll act like everything's right but down deep in the middle of the night you're tormented because you've locked everything in but as soon as you open that up 
The Bible says it this way. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. It releases. There is a natural release of endorphins when you give a shout. It's the reason why when you watch professional football games or other athletic uh, uh, adventures or whatever you want to call it, that that all of a sudden it happened several times in, in recent months, they have that stupid decimal thing and they keep going back with a shot to that. 97, 98, 98. And they're all excited about how loud it is. Can I tell you why? Because the loudness affects the enemy. In sports, we call it home field advantage. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When you let out a war cry, you are confusing the enemy and you are proclaiming home field advantage. Read Joshua chapter six. The Lord tells Joshua, walk the people around Jericho once a day for six days and on the seventh day, don't say a word. Don't even whisper to one another. Just walk silently. And then on the seventh day, walk around seven times silently. Some of you wouldn't make it halfway around the first time. Because the silence would kill you. At the end of the seventh time around, Joshua says, here's what I want you to do. Don't want you to attack. I don't want you to fight. I want you to shout. Shout unto the Lord. And the Lord told him, and when you shout, the walls of Jericho will fall flat and the people can enter freely. I want you to notice, I referenced Gideon. I want you to read the outcome of this. When Gideon in Judges 7, 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord and he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, get up for the Lord God has given you victory over the Midianite hoarders. And he divided the 300 men into three groups of 100 and gave each one a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And he said to them, keep your eyes on me when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. And as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. The war cry, the war cry. And notice that he says, I want you to take my ho- the horns and I want you to blow those horns. Listen, worship, we blew some horns today. The ram's horns were blown and now God is saying it's time for the war cry. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes, God. 
So it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men that with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, and suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their, uh, their horns and broke their jars, and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. And when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Bethsaida near Zerah. Listen, when the war cry comes out, one of the reasons why the rebel yell in the civil war caused so much fear and panic, it's something happens. There is a, there is a eerie fear that comes across. And in the case of Gideon, when they shouted for the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the Lord, the Bible says, sent ambushments and they fought one another and killed one another and those that weren't killed, they ran. While the 300 stood on the outskirts of camp and watched the destruction of the Midianite army. Listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. When you let that shout out, That's all you have to do to fight. Because when you let the war cry out, he begins to do the battle. Pastor, I'm so tired of fighting. Because you're not meant to. You're wearing out yourself fighting a battle you were not designed to fight. You were designed to worship. You were designed to release your voice into the heavenlies, which will release the host of heaven's armies to do the battle on your behalf. So stop fighting and start worshiping. I invite you to stand. There's one more reason. I've said this to our church. We've got so many guests here today and thank you for being with us. I hope I haven't freaked you totally out. The Bible says that even now God has authorized our enemy to be in charge of something. The Bible says it this way. He is the prince and the power of the air, the atmosphere around us, all around us. If you're fighting in the wrong atmosphere, maybe change your atmosphere. If you're fighting flesh and blood, if you're fighting yourself and others, You've got the wrong atmosphere. Change the atmosphere and see what begins to happen. That was for free. (laughs) But here's what takes place. And this has been scientifically 
uh, documented that when you shout, it tears the energy that comes out, the breath that comes out, the vocal resonance that comes out. It begins to tear at the air all around you. Let me put it to you this way. Part of the reason why the war cry is so powerful and will take you out of the gray area and put you into the right spot with him is because when you begin to shout, you begin to tear apart the dominion of the enemy, literally, figuratively, and spiritually. Is it emotional? Yes. Is it emotionalism? No. Let me just let me just challenge somebody. I know that this is Minnesota. I was born and raised here. I know that for the most of us, the vast majority of us are stoic Scandinavians. That we don't like making a scene. That we don't like drawing attention to ourselves. That we like to be cool, calm, and collected. That we're passive aggressive. Because we like to look cool, calm, and collected, and then complain because we're fighting. Could it be that you won't have to fight if you'll give up being cool, calm, and collected? you but I wouldn't be too cool calm and collected if I walked into my home one day and one of these three people needed medical attention in a hurry I think I would get a little bit frantic I think I'd be dialing 911 pretty quick and nailing I wouldn't I'd be yelling into the phone come help me I can't do this on my own I can't raise them up I can't save them I can't do anything for them So let me tell you or ask you, what's the difference in the natural when it's happening in the spiritual? God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. God, I need it for Owen. I need it for Declan. I need it for Trish. I need it for Spirit of Grace Church. I can't figure it out. I can't do it on my own. All I can do is give out a praise to you for you are the King. yelling pretty loud drive down every street look at any billboard and see how loud he's yelling turn on the tv and the radio and open up the newspaper and listen to the political news and see how loud he's yelling listen as loud as he's yelling we need to yell back that he is in control that god is still a king
God. My God. My God. Yeah. Yeah. intelligible historically when, 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 when people would go to war and they would let it out it wasn't, the rebel yell was not intelligible you couldn't, you couldn't tell you what they were saying you couldn't understand it listen, the Bible's got a term for that the Bible says it this way when you don't know how to pray for what you ought to pray for the Holy Ghost will pray on your behalf and it will come out with utterings that cannot be understood. And so sometimes it's just a guttural, ah, here I come, devil. Here I come. I'm going to win. 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 I am going to win. Are you feeling it? Okay, listen. As individuals and as the corporate body of believers here today, in Jewish culture, when they are in the presence of something like this, the rabbis will begin to do this. They'll just rock back and forth. And when it's ready on the inside of them, they change from rocking back and forth to rocking forward and back. And the reason why they do that is because when they're rocking forward and back, the shout comes a whole lot easier. So they'll start going back and forth like this and concentrating on the things of God and concentrating on the word of God 
and concentrating on the presence of God and concentrating on fighting the battles that they need to fight. And then somewhere along the line, they'll shift and they'll start doing this. And then they'll start shouting, ha, ha, yes, glory to God. Here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want us to do as a body of believers. If you're a guest here, it's entirely up to you. But Spirit of Grace Church and everybody else that's welcome that would want to, I want you to step out of your seat into an aisle. It doesn't need to always, even all the way, come all the way up front. But find a place. As they begin to do a musical interlude that they're doing, I want you in your own way to begin to find that place where you can release your war cry and allow the victory that you've been fighting for. Allow God to do it yeah 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 God I release the warriors
Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, my God, my God, my God, my God. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. My God. My God. My God. My God. My God. My God. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. My Lord, right now, do your work. Do your work, oh God. Do your work, oh God. Do your work, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is worship. Receive this. Go in peace. Let everybody in the family understand that Jesus is Lord. It is not only you that he has touched, but he touched your entire family. All you need to do is just to believe. Believe that Jesus can do it. You don't have to fight. You don't have to go by anything to fight your battle. Just say, God, here I am. I surrendered everything to you. Amen? May you be blessed and be holy. May you may, may, may the Lord God of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham go ahead of you. May everything you've taken to be Lord for you be banished right now. Receive your healing. Receive your healing. Receive financial blessings. May God give you your wallet and fill it so you can be able to invest in his kingdom. It is a covenant that he made in Malachi, the book of Malachi chapter 3. Some people like to start with chapter, verse 10. But look at verse 11 that says, I will what? Rebuke the devourer, right? So your crops, your vines will not lose grapes. If you invest in the kingdom of God because it's a covenant, if you don't know it, all he wants from you, and that is his command, if you come to wherever you are being spiritually led, you should be able to invest in his kingdom. It is his promise. Whoever made any promise of uh, about by his covenant today, I pray with you, may the word of God that is written in Malachi bless you today and forevermore. Amen? Those who never had it to give, we pray that God of Israel, 
God of you and your descendants help you to be member of his kingdom to have more that you can invest in his kingdom so that his covenant is be able to apply to you right so let's take this let's now cease praying let's pray for one another may you be blessed and stay holy in Jesus mighty name we are not dismissing service take the church with you wherever you are live in the light of God till we meet again on Wednesday thank you in Jesus name